Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fan Fuel Motorsport Podcast, where fans feel talk about motorsports. Tonight, we're going to be branching out a little bit more than we usually do. You know, we're usually talking about Formula One and, you know, a little bit of the IMSA stuff, IndyCar, aside from our main focus of NASCAR. But today, we're going to be talking about a little bit of the dirt world. Without further ado, let's bring in our guest, the voice of the World of Outlaws Dirt Late Model Series, Rick Eshelman, and his good friend and my father, uh, Chad Harrington. What's up, guys? Hey, Alex. How's it going? Uh, before we get started, this will uh, resonate with Chad more than anybody. You guys might not even recognize it. Last night was the last night for this. This, guys, is a flip phone. It is now retired. It's put away in the shelf. And I sit now with one of these. Yeah, Chad, I'm in the 21st century, bud. How, you're muted. Oh, Chad's muted again. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I, I tried to make sure I wasn't dying laughing when you showed that, but that was that's definitely funny. And welcome to the 21st century. And I know with all the tweeting and everything you do, it, it, it's a little hard to do on that flip phone. Yeah, it wasn't happening. Uh, work gave me this uh, January of last year, February of this year. I started... Um, Getting on it and just going for it. So it's a new world. It's amazing. You can order a pizza from this thing and you can find out how to get there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. We've all been doing that since 2011. It only took you a whole decade. Hey, you know what? It's probably older than me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So how are you feeling tonight, Rick? I'm glad we're having you on. Hey, great. I was glad to uh, hear from you this week and from Chad. I just got done with a two-mile run. It's 82 degrees here, guys. Can't complain. So. I know where you're at. It's not too bad. And uh, Nathan Colton, I, I know Nathan's in a decent spot. I think Colton's in a cold spot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay indoors. It's warmer. Yeah. So, um, uh, just just for a little bit of preface, um, we, as in my dad and I, uh, know Rick from uh, from quite a long time. So I kind of wanted to start there. Um, how did you and my dad kind of meet up, you know, and lead to this kind of lifelong friendship? 2003, I got asked to come down from Michigan where I live to call the uh, National 100. Chad happened to be working there and we just started talking. And next thing you know, we was buds and making fun of each other and just cutting up and going to the races. And we've been friends ever since. It's been yeah. quite a while. It's almost 20 years, Chad. You imagine that? close and it, it's it's unbelievable that you've had at least one friend for 20 years well and one i didn't have to pay that's even better yeah that's <laughs> true but then again i only had to deal with you on selected weekends every year so yeah and then you chose those weekends kind of like me so <laughs> it wasn't all that bad <laughs> all right the thing is though here's alex got a beard going and everything got his own podcast we're getting old bud uh, way too old yeah yeah I mean, do you even want to know how old I am now, Rick? I'm going to just guess 23. 26. See what I mean? (laughs) I lost three years just with that conversation. Damn. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you mentioned um, originally from Michigan, and you've got a um, a, just a massive checklist of tracks that you've, you know, you've been to watching races and also obviously announcing, doing other stuff with – the word about our series now and all that, but I do want to start with flat rock. Um, tell me about your first job at a racetrack. You guys probably won't get it, but 
back in the day, um, they had this thing called welding insurance. And I don't even know if Chad knows about this. I stood at the pit gate and I collected $2 from any driver who wanted to purchase welding insurance because the track's wall was a guardrail. Back then, all the cars were real cars with real bodies, steel bodies. So if they hit the guardrail and tore stuff up, they had to get welded. If they bought the welding insurance for $2, then the welder would come over and weld whatever they needed. If they didn't, he could charge them whatever they wanted. You better believe every driver in the pits bought that $2 welding insurance because back then, you know, their races were long. You think it was long in the South? Try welding a racetrack wall all night long after somebody hits it. So, you know, back then it was pretty cool. I also got driver's names and hometowns to give to the announcer and did that all the way up to 1979. Started in 75 at the racetrack. And in 79, the uh, opening night, their announcer didn't show up. Promoter said, you want to try it? So I tried it. I nailed it. I liked it. And I was on from there. Wow. So that's interesting. You know, you hear a lot about that happening where someone just doesn't show up and then, you know, yep. thrust everything. But now you've made a career out of it. So um, how 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 did that become your career? I know you've spent some time in the Air Force. You did some stuff, you know, at the Toledo Speedway even um, yeah. all the way up till till you went full time in 2004. Like what well, like was the transitionary period? I started in 79 announcing and uh, I, you know, bounced around. Did a little bit of flat rock, and then next thing you know, I decided to go in the Air Force. The cool thing was I got there in January of 82, and in April of 82, I was the track announcer at Grand Forks County Speedway in North Dakota. The four years I was in the Air Force in North Dakota, I was the track announcer at that dirt track. So that was my first dirt track I ever announced at. Came back to Michigan, you know, did some announcing here, a little bit of Toledo Speedway, picked up Oakshade in 92, um, did some announcing at Lima Land, became the announcer at Eldora in 2000 through 2003. Wasn't a full-time announcer until July of 2004 when I was working at Magnolia Motor Speedway. I actually helped open that racetrack in Columbus, Mississippi and announced the first ever show there and kept getting asked by Dean Miracle, who was the series director for the Outlaws then, to come work for the Outlaws. Well, in J July of 2004, I decided to do it, and it's been that way ever since. Paid a lot of dues. Uh, you just don't fall into a big series like that unless you're really lucky, have the right connections. You know, I did what everybody says you have to do. Paid my dues. Yeah, so in that time of you paying those dues, you know, you're, you're also watching a transition in asphalt and dirt racing. So what was the what was the – racing itself different uh from from what we see today like because they're not having the big payouts it's not you know the national scene don't that me, we have don't get now. me wrong this has been a flip-flop alex you weren't around to see it but if you can maybe appreciate it if i tell you the right way back in the 70s and 80s where i live pavement late mile racing was the thing you had the greatest drivers in the world i mean you're talking dick trickle alan kawicki um Rusty Wallace, Mark Martin. You got guys in my hometown like Joy Fair. You had Dickie Anderson down in Florida, David Rogers, Jody Ridley, Butch Lindley. I mean, you had the best drivers, Bob Seneker and Mike Eddy, you name it. Pavement racing was the way to go. Well, somewhere in that in the 80s to 90s, pavement racing transitioned into a template body race car. They weren't outlaw bodies no more. 
And at the same time, when dirt was just kind of like rednecks, beer drinking, tobacco chewing, hillbillies, that went out there and, you know, ran moonshine, if you will, it switched. Dirt late models all of a sudden became race cars. And the pavement guys became more like taxi cabs. And don't get me wrong, NASCAR I appreciate, but it became like NASCAR. It was too corporate, too methodic. Late models on dirt were starting to pay big. You started getting wild slide jobs. You had the wedge bodies, which you guys never got to really enjoy. You know, you had the big motors, big tires. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the 80s, 90s, dirt late models became the thing. Pavement late models became a secondary thing. Pavement late models have made their way back a little bit. But let's face it, guys, where I come from, my feature event on Saturday night at home for the late models paid $500 to win. The tires were still expensive then. They still went through five, six, seven sets of tires. They start practicing at 3.30. Races get done at midnight, and they went through a ton of tires. It's that way today. They're still using a ton of tires. And if you get a five or 10,000 to win race in payment late miles, you got yourself a show. Five or 10,000 to win. Ask Chad around here. Okay, that's a Saturday night, you know, when nothing else is going on. Biggest races in the world are on dirt, and dirt is king. Hate to say it for you payment guys. I know F1. I appreciate that because you got to turn left and turn right, and you're going 200 miles an hour, and you're in this little cockpit, and most of the drivers can't pronounce anyways. But in dirt late models, when you have a race that pays a million dollars to win, and it's never happened in asphalt other than NASCAR and F1. I mean, think about it, guys. Dirt has been paying for a long time. You don't use as many tires, and it's a whole hell of a lot more fun. Well, Nathan, I know you're a guy that uh, has I mean, went I, door-to-door with, with myself and Colton about no, dirt no, racing. I'm so actually pretty interested. You wanna... I'm pretty interested in hearing this just because I think I don't know a lot about dirt. Um, that being said, I've tried it on iRacing, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm probably going to get into it more in the future. Um, the thing is, though, now, I'm just trying to learn about it. All of us really need to stick to our guns and what we like. Uh, Colton, you like sprints, is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. Nathan, you're an F1 guy. Well, if you take both Maybe of those two, road racing in general, take yeah. both of those two cars, IMSA, you know, SCCA, whatever you want to go with. Mm-hmm. It's still a race car, guys. Yeah. I don't care if it turns left, turns right, goes 100 miles an hour, goes 40 miles an hour. It doesn't matter. It's a race car. Racing is the purest sport there is. It's better than any stick and ball. And I've I enjoy pro sports and college sports. But when you get down to a race car, it's just one guy. And that one guy is in charge of everything. And everybody around him also has to fear him. And he's their competitor as to where, you know, when you're you're talking stick and ball sports, it's fun to watch. But there's nothing like being at a racetrack, smelling the roar, hearing the roar, smelling the engine, smelling the tires, the, the fluids. There's nothing better than racing, guys. We all know it. And that's why we're all here right now. So I encourage anybody. I started at age three. Let's go around the table. Alex, when did you start? I went to my first race when I was three. Uh, well, I think my dad took me to qualifying at Talladega or Atlanta when I was when I was one or two. All right. Nathan? I'm kind of a late bloomer here, probably 10 or 11. My dad okay. took me to an IndyCar race at Pocono, and that was it. Colton? Uh, I have no idea. My dad was a local racer, so they could have taken me after a week yeah. I was born. You know, I, I have no idea. Chadley? I was one month old to the day when we went to watch a Winston West race way back in the day and 
Spanaway, Washington. And oh, he went and saw Herschel McGriff race. Well, my dad did drink a beer with Herschel McGriff after the race. I mean, I was a month old when the cars turned off. I cried when the so cars there it is, were going. Guys. I slept like a baby. We were all kids, and we all went to our first race, and we all still remember it. I can tell you a lot of people that went to their first ball game couldn't tell you who, what, when, or where. We we know where we were. Yeah. This is one of those sports where there's no trouble. You don't see a bunch of crap on social media about this guy killing this guy, this guy raping this woman, this guy in trouble for DUI. Racers are racers, man. We're it. We're, we're the elite bunch, and I'm proud to be part of it, along with you and you and you and you and even Harrington. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, that, that gets you too, Alex. Don't just say that. No, no. no, no I'm talking no, to Chad. I'm oh, talking yeah. to Chad out on that one. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a great sport, it, guys. I love it. If you were having a microphone in your hand and I could talk back to you from the flag stand, it'd be a different story. You know, see, that's that? the greatest thing, guys, about being an announcer. You can make fun of whoever you want. And I did every chance I had with Chad. Just ask him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. One of the things I did want to ask, um, it, you kind of brought it up with the memories making and stuff like that. Obviously, we know the best way to get new race fans is to bring their, bring yourself or your kids to a racetrack and bring your friends, whatever, because they're not going to sit on TV or watch on YouTube and be nearly as infatuated as in real life. Yeah, but that's that's any sport, Alex. But you're you're right. <laughs> right, um, but. Lately, especially in your world, in the dirt world, I've seen a, just a slew of people on social media saying dirt's better than NASCAR, dirt's bigger than NASCAR, dirt's, dirt's this, dirt's that, dirt's that. Um, being at the racetrack with the World of Outlaws for the last 20 years, how, how has the dynamic changed from the fandom? It, are we seeing more people or is it just the blue collar, you know, well, southerner? The, the cool thing is, now I can't speak for either Nathan or Colton. I'll let them interject their own spot. But from just from my perspective and what I see, compared to NASCAR, our drivers are more accessible. And I get that. I mean, we are more regional and some national, unlike NASCAR, who you see, you know, all over the country. And they got to have their bodyguards and their peeps and all that. But our guys are accessible. They could be working on a car. You can walk right up to them if you have a pit pass and say, hey, Joe, can I get your autograph? And they stop and they do it. You can't do that at a NASCAR race. You can't walk down the track into the pits. You can't get the pass. There's guards. There's roped off areas. You know, you, if you do have a pass for the garage, you still can't get in there. I mean, you can walk right into Bloomquist trailer and say, hey, Scott, what's up? You know, we're going to Steve Kinzer's trailer. Hey, Steve, can I have an autograph? I don't know if you can do that in F1. I can't speak for Nathan. I'll let him touch on that. Colton will agree. Sprint car drivers are pretty accessible. You can get to them. Yeah. You know, you go up to Jack Hottenshield and say, hey, man, I'd love your autograph. He'd probably have a beer with you after the races were over. I mean, these guys are accessible, and that's why Dirt's so much more fan-friendly. Now, F1, I know they have autograph sessions and stuff like that, Nathan, but how accessible are they, say, you know, on a race weekend? That's a good question. Um, out of all the things I've been to, I've never been to an F1 race, but, you know, I've been to NASCAR races before they took away practice. It was, you still had to jump through hoops to meet some of the drivers. Like you had yeah. to have a practice pass. You had to have all that stuff. IMSA is pretty nice. Um, you can go to the test session for 15 bucks, walk right into the garage. IndyCar, I know you, you have to have paddock passes, but if you can get them, they're fairly accessible. F1, I would probably say, 
you're looking at, you know, you either have to know somebody or have to spend thousands of dollars just to, to get in the paddock. They don't let anyone in there without certain passes, certain, you know, you have to get screened. You have to do all those kind of things. And I feel like if it wasn't for the accessibility of some of the series around here, then I probably would have had a harder time becoming a fan because, you know, I met some of the drivers when I was really little and that's probably what, what helped get me into it more. I think the biggest problem, Alex, and this will probably sum it up the best. When you have F1, you have NASCAR, you have IndyCar, those guys are under a microscope. They are on TV. You know, they do commercials. They make appearances at this business or that business. They have a different set of guidelines than our dirt drivers. I mean, if Kyle Busch was to say uh, Kyle Larson just drove like a dumbass, he's going to get fined. He's going to get sent to the trailer, take sensitivity training to where our guys say you're a dumbass right on the microphone and everybody just goes nuts over it. We don't have that kind of uh, culpability to where if they say something out of kilter that they're going to get punished and banned and sanctioned and all that. Obviously, there are some things you just can't say with today's world where people get offended, but they have more freedom to speak to the fans, to each other, to, you know, drivers, to the internet broadcast, than the other three big sanctions do just due to the fact of they're under them major contracts and they lose sponsors. And it, it, that's why I think it's not as popular with fans to go those three different routes, the NASCAR, the Indy, the F1, as to dirt, you know, dirt people are like me and you. We put our pants on every day. We go to work. They do too, but just on a different level. We always talk about that, you know, me and my dad, because we've been in the dirt industry, I mean, just as long or, uh, well, not as you, because obviously you've been in there longer, but. In um, other words, I'm older, Chad. He can say it. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, but I always find that the racing itself is better on dirt than it is with these NASCAR IndyCar, Formula One stuff, like we've said, those races can always be great. I remember the 2017 Mm -hmm. Indy 500 was probably the best I've ever seen with my own eyes. However, when it comes to races on dirt, there always seems to be a lot more give and take, even though they're racing what seems like harder. Would you agree with that statement? Well, the thing is, you brought up a good point. Um, I don't know if Chad remembers. You remember the Indy 500? Danny and Gaius did the 360 spin and win. Oh, yeah, 1985. There's certain things you remember, like the Daytona 500 when Richard Petty and um, David Pearson crashed and the crews come out and push the cars across the start-finish line. There's only certain things you remember, you know, from different things like Indy 500 or an F1 race, Dario Friend KD1 or something like that. You can remember any night from a dirt race just due to the fact that the racers are shorter. Racers have a very short memory. And what I mean by that is they'll forget their most recent win because tomorrow night's a different track. They'll forget their most recent loss because it's another chance to win. But with these guys, they run 500 miles, 250 miles, you know, 500 laps, 400 laps. And it's one race on the weekend. You don't have back-to-back nights where NASCAR's at Bristol one night and Richmond the next night, or F1's in Monaco one night and Mexico the next night, or IndyCar is at Michigan and then they're at Pocono. That doesn't happen. So there's nothing to build off of. They lose momentum with a week off as to where you pick up a dirt race pretty much during the summer, close to any night of the week. 
and there's always something to talk about. There's very little to talk about for a whole week. I mean, if you sit here, the Daytona 500 is coming up. Okay, it's a month away. The hype's going to build. The race is going to build. It's going to be a great 500. The 500's over on Sunday. On Monday, here we are talking about where's our next dirt race we're going to. NASCAR's got a week before they're going to race again. It's just a matter of, um, I guess, repetitiveness. We do it so much. There's always something we could talk about. Either that race sucked, it was freight train one lane, or that track was just down, get down fast all night long, or it slicked over and it was like glass and they did slide jobs. You only get to talk about one race in the other ones. And I think that's why we're more popular and we're more relevant because we happen all the time where they happen once a weekend. That's a that's a very interesting take. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, because the big prestige of the sport, you know, kind of like with the NFL, you talk about they're doing that once a week, but it's 16 games. So mm-hmm. I could see I could see where both could be a push and pull on on the relevance topic there. But I do want to ask. Tell, I can tell you why they do what they do. I mean, you think about it. Let's take a look at the three series real quick. IndyCar, 200 plus miles an hour. The G's that's put on a driver's body for four hours. It's incredible. You have to be in just phenomenal shape. You look at your NASCAR guys, they're going 500 miles in a 180 degree race car in one spot, just like this for four hours for 500 miles that wears on your body. And when you're talking F1, how many times do you have to shift, break, turn, shift, break, turn, shift, break, turn in one lap. And they do it for how many laps it's grueling on the body on those machines and those people and even the crews. So I get why they do it once a week. But, you know, ours is demanding. I just don't think it's as as demanding physically on the drivers as it is on those three big ones. Because let's face it, none of us can get in a cup car, with the exception of maybe Chad. I'll give him benefit of the doubt. And go out of Daytona and run 200 miles an hour and be able to keep the car on the track. Nor could we go to uh, downtown Detroit Grand Prix on Belle Isle and drive an Indy car around Belle Isle at 100 miles an hour in hairpin turn. Or take a for, or take a uh, Formula One car and go over in Brazil and drive on a course like that where you're shifting, braking, shifting, braking, turning. We can't do that. That's why we're doing what we do right now. That's why late model guys drive late models, and that's why the other guys drive with them because they are the best at what they do. But it's just different levels. We're just more accessible. We're more local. We're more fun. Let's face it. How far you got to drive to go to NASCAR race? You guys, not so much. Me, not so much. Somebody like Colton out in Wyoming. What's your closest NASCAR track? Kansas City, 12 hours away. There you go. Yep. So it's like that for F1, for all of us, it's it's a stretch to go somewhere. So. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, more so, so I did want to talk about the gruelingness, though. How many nights a year are you working? Well, I mean, we have a 58-race schedule coming up next year with the World of Outlaws. But I'll help out on summer nationals. You know, I'll go out there and be a pit steward. We have the Dryden Extreme Dirt Car Series where we were just at I-75 last Saturday night. I was a pit steward there. Um, gone from home out of 365, probably 175 to 200 days, give or take. This is the off season, Christmas and New Year's. Caught me yeah. at a good day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean – Obviously, that's probably affected some some things along the line. But when you got the call in 2004, 
has your willingness and ableness and your excitement from 2004 to 2022 changed as we go into next season for that long growing schedule? Yeah, I would have to say it's gotten even, it's hard to, to understand unless you've done this a long time, but I don't look at it like, okay, January 20th is our first race of the year. January 20th is the next race I get to go work at. I still love this sport. I still bleed this for this sport. And this is what I have wanted to do my whole life. When I was 10 years old, you can remember when you were 10, Alex. It wasn't all that long ago, a couple decades, well, one decade. But uh, at 10 years old, I wanted to be an announcer. And that's what I wanted to do. And I'm sure at some point Chad said, you know what? I want to be a flag man. And he is. He's one of the best starters I know. It's one of those things where I'm not tired. I'm 60 years old, guys. And I've been doing this 43 years. I'm starting my 44th year next month. And it's still exciting. I still get butterflies when I get behind the mic ready to talk because it's still exciting. It's it's not a job. It's something that I love to do. And I'll continue to do it. My goal is to do it through 2028. After that, that's 50 years behind the mic. God knows I've probably made enough people's ears bleed over the 50 years. So it's time to hang up the mic and retire from World of Outlaws. Maybe just, you know, do a show here or there. Go see a show, stuff like that. But um, that's that's the plan. Seven more seasons. Um, and then it's retirement. I don't know what that's right. going to be like. I guess I'll find out. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I did have this one, um, this one uh, question. I, I want to preface. I know you got this. more than one. Don't don't kid me. Yeah. Well, no. This is a big one. You kind of alluded to it with your retirement and stuff. I do want to preface it with the lost and found racetracks that you're doing on um, uh, on Twitter. You're gotcha. doing that kind of, kind of like the Dale Junior download uh, or the Dale Junior guys going out there for lost yep. ways and stuff. I actually um, been in correspondence with Matthew Dillner. We we talk now and then. Oh, that's really, that's really badass. Yeah. That's really cool. He's he's pretty cool. But my question was going to be with you doing this, how do you feel telling the history of your favorite sport, but you're also a very big part of that sport. How do you feel? Because you are a part of the history that you're telling. You know, you just said something that I've never thought about. I don't really consider myself part of the sport in the fact that, you know, I should be recognized. I'm part of the sport like Chad. Um, I go to the track, I work, I try to give the best show possible for the fans. Hope the drivers all get treated fair. Hope the fans enjoy it so they can come back because without fans, we don't have a sport, which goes back to, you know, bring the kids because they're the most important thing, which they always are, always have been. I mean, we were all kids going to the racetrack. We all talked about when we started going. Um, being a part of the sport makes me feel good, but I don't, I don't consider it. It doesn't go through in my mind like, hey, I'm a, I'm a player in this. I'm just another piece in the puzzle. This is a thousand-piece puzzle, and I'm piece number 76. I mean, I've always looked at it that way. I learned at age 20, and for all you guys that – Get into this sport. If you ever work at a racetrack, work for a series, work for somebody. Don't ever think you're bigger than the sport because they will kick you right between the legs and let you know exactly where you fit in. At age 20, I got told that I'm not the show. The show is out there on the racetrack, and I've lived by that for the last 40 years. I'm a part of the show. I try and bring a description of what's going on, give some insight, maybe a little humor when it's possible, call a good race, and 
leave the fans entertained and wanting to come back next week to see what happens. Yeah, uh, I well, can also I, say I can also say this too. Even with a headset on and you're on the flag stand, you can hear Rick over the super late models when you got a speaker that close to you. A lot of times, you can look at it two ways. Either it's really clear, or I'm really a big mouth. So <laughs> yeah, one of the two. Uh, but he doesn't just follow the leader like you see on TV. If he sees something exciting going on in the track he will pan his own eyes back to the battles throughout the field and call the battles because why those guys made the show just like the leader did. And Chad's the exact same way on the starter stand. He may be watching the leader to keep up with that, but he's also got three different eyes on three different parts of the racetrack, making sure that car that went off of turn two comes back on the racetrack so we don't need caution. That guy that was getting into that guy in turn four while the leaders are off in one to make sure they don't wreck. I mean, he's got a responsibility just like I do. My responsibility is to call the action as it's happening. His is to make sure that the racetrack is safe and they can continue to go at full speed. So if you love what you do, Alex, you do it without thought. You don't think about it. It's just normal reaction, just like riding a bike, like anything else. So, Another follow-up question to that, then. You're saying you're not as big as a sport, and I, and, I, and I can see the humbleness when you say that. But your inflection on the, you know, highlights videos or whatever, when, when people are watching highlights and, and you're describing whatever you're describing live, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, you know, descriptive, and, and you're pumping more adrenaline into the fans because they might not be understanding exactly what's going on because you've been doing it so long. You can kind of inflict onto them exactly what's going on, what the characteristics of the race car are doing just by the upticks and downticks of the volume in, in your voice. Um, So you might not, yeah, yeah. You might not feel like you're that much of the sport, but you're a big impact on what the people sitting in the stands are watching at home. You you bring up a good point because it's a double-edged sword when I have to do something like it's a good idea to remind fans the simple things. What does the green flag mean? What, when Chad puts five fingers in the air, what does that mean? When he throws a caution, what is that? What's that blue flag with the yellow stripe through it for? Why did they put that guy in the pit area? I mean, sometimes I have the dubious job of explaining to the fans, the rules, why this happened, why that happened. You have to do that for the new or casual race fan so they know what's going on. It's just like when you're at a hockey game and the referee goes like that. Unless you know that slashing, sometimes that has to be described. And it's it's a job where a lot of people say, I know what the green flag's for. Why are you saying that? That's so stupid. Remember, race fans that are very, very smart, and there's a ton of them out there, there are those race fans that have been there for once, maybe twice, maybe it's their first time ever. They haven't got a clue what this is about. They'd like to know, and if someone will tell them, maybe they'll come back. So when I explain a rule or I explain why something happened, yeah, it's obvious. I mean, Captain Obvious, yeah, that's me. But for that fan that's coming through that gate for the first time that may become a lifelong fan, if they just know what's going on, where's the harm? Again, with, with you being, you know, humble about your spot, we got word that you'll be going into uh, the Dirt Lane Mile Hall of Fame. So how do you how do you feel about that? And then also, you know, every November when you're going to the Dirt Track World Finals, you also have two other, you know, big names in Johnny Gibson and Tim Baltz. 
that are working with you. How do you feel being part of that elite group, even though you're coming at us tonight with a humble conscience? Um, I guess I can't really answer that honestly until August when it happens because it still doesn't seem real. I mean, we're talking about the National Durley Model Hall of Fame that has got people in there like Ralph Earnhardt, um, Earl Baltus, who built Eldora Speedway, uh, CJ Rayburn, Freddie Smith, you know, Rick Eckert, some of Buck Simmons, all the great drivers from the beginning of time are in there my spot in there is for a contributor to the sport i mean there's so many good people in there the tony hammett photographer down in south carolina he's one of the greatest ever it's one of those things where i didn't think it would happen right away if it did happen be more like maybe after i retired they'd say okay you know he put 50 years in Uh, you know that would have been okay but to go in with me still active and still you know out there doing my thing it's i guess it's um an honor to be respected by your peers enough to put you in while you're doing the sport much less you know after you've retired and something like that i can't describe the feeling i had when i got the call from gerald newton and said i wanted to congratulate you you'll be going into the national dirt lay mile hall of fame in august and i just sat there and asked jed there's been very few times where I've had nothing to say. That was one of those times. I can count on my hand and not use all five fingers the three times <laughs> I've heard him be quiet. Yeah, yeah, usually <laughs> when you got me on something. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's it's a humble feeling, Alex, and uh, I'm honored to go in there. I mean, I'm going in with a great class. I'm going in with Brian Burkhofer, going in with Don O'Neill, going in with Steve Boley who yeah, I grew up watching racing, Dick Beebe, one of my pavement people from Michigan. I actually had a column in his paper called the Mark Times Racing News. I did a column in there for about five or six years. I mean, just going in with some great drivers. I'm going in with James Essex, too. I mean, it's just an, it's an honor. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Well, being well, I- the- being that you brought up Brian Burkhopper, that, that takes me back to my first trip to the World 100 where I actually heard your voice for the first time. Yeah. And uh, I know that it, it's just a sentimental favorite race. I mean, you'll always remember the first time you walked through those gates at Eldora. It's like nothing else. It, it is unlike anything else. Um, I mean, I hate to say this. It was unlike anything, and I went to the World Finals for the first time in November, but still trumped it, and that was 2002. But we will never, ever see the 200-plus cars that I was able to see in 2002 and 2004 at a World 100 or a dream ever again. No, I actually was fortunate enough to uh, call the race when we had 261 late models for a World 100. I did all the qualifying. (laughs) And I did the three non-qualifier races by myself. And I'd have to say that was my most challenging night, I think, ever behind the microphone. But, uh, you know, car counts are what they are now. It's quality over quantity. I don't know that I'd want to be a fan in this day and age and sit through 200 cars of qualifying when I could see 90 great cars qualify. And that's just me. I'd like to see one more time where there's 200 cars just because I just don't know that we'll ever see that. I think those days are gone. Yeah. But 
going back to that 2002, knowing that that was the first World 100 after 9-11, how did that get everybody? I mean, I, I was there. I heard that you could have heard a pin drop into the clay. Yeah. Um, you give that speech about 9-11 and what transpired the year before. The thing is, I mean, we all pretty much thought something like that could never happen in this country. And it did. And it was a wake-up call. And the only thing that we could have done, just like when somebody's um, loved one dies, they'll say a race car driver X, his crew chief dies. Well, what's better for that driver and that team than to get out there and race in his honor? And I think we needed to get out there and do what we've always done as a country, go about our business and press on. We can all sit in the corner with our head between our legs and cry. Yes, we did that. But we needed to get back in the saddle and go back to doing what we were doing because that's who we are and that's what we are. We're tough. We're resilient. And we will bounce back. We did. And I think we gave it enough time to reflect and honor those that uh, lost their life for no apparent reason other than stupidity. That should have never happened, but it did. And we had to grow and learn from it. And for those of us that lost somebody during that time, it was hard. But just like you, just like anything, Chad, if your wife or my girlfriend or Alex's girlfriend passed, they would want us to continue on and do what we did. And that's what we do. We honor them. So, I mean, I, I feel like racing was honoring those people, showing them that we could still you know, carry on, but carry on with their memory. And, and that goes back to kind of what I said a little bit earlier. It's like, you, you might not feel like it, but do you, you do have a, a, a power bestowed upon you being the voice at the racetrack um, to kind of just move people um, past some of those kind of events. I wasn't there. Obviously my dad was, um, I was way too young to be at Eldora. In <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> so, but um, I guess we kind of we kind of hit on a bunch of the big stuff that I wanted to hit on, you know, some of you coming through, you know, Hall of Fame and stuff. But now let's let's kind of get into who Rick Eshelman is. I mean, he's not just the voice behind the World of Outlaws Dirt Late Mile series. He's not just the guy that's been doing it for 43 years. Um, some of the things that we've learned through your Twitter feed over the last, you know, few months is that, you know, you you've got a lot of different loves. You do the um, the battles. Uh, the pick'em battles uh, a lot. You got brackets for that and all kinds of different stuff that you've done. So I just want to kind of go down a, a list of that kind of stuff and ask to come to your favorite things. But obviously, you're a movie lover. So yeah, what's your favorite movie? Oh, well, she's not here. But if you were to ask Melissa, I've got about ten of them that I can watch a hundred times. Um, I love horror movies. I love natural disaster movies. I'm one of those weirdos that likes to see things go wrong on film. Um. Twister, Titanic, you give me any horror film, especially with zombies that eat flesh, I'm all down with that. But uh, a movie like Shawshank Redemption, that's a great movie. Yeah. And then The Ten Commandments, you know, I do have reverence. I, I love that movie, just the way it was produced. But uh, I love a lot of action and horror, natural disaster, stuff like that. But uh to touch on with the phone, they gave me this phone and said, interact with the fans. Well, what better way to interact with the fans than to have, you know, 
pick them contest, see what everybody's taste is out there. Go to racetracks and film old racetracks they used to run, stuff like that. You know, get pictures of dogs. Who doesn't love a dog? Dad. I mean, exactly. So it's just, it's stuff like that. Just human interest stuff, hopefully can get attention of other people to, uh, you know, say, hey, I like this or chime in with a conversation. And by the way, my Twitter account is Rick underscore Eshelman. Follow me. I'll try and keep you entertained. I never thought I'd say that 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. This is a man that used to ask, hey, can you look up on your phone and tell me who won this? Exactly. I was announcing at Boyd Speedway for Southern uh, Nationals race. And the guy in the booth looked at my flip phone, then looked at me with my clipboard and my steno book and my pen. He said, you know what? You're a number two pencil in a dot-com world. And that kind of stuck for a long time. But it's true. It was true. So I know uh, the other guys had a few other questions about your favorite kind of uh, stuff outside of just sure. uh, dirt late model racing. So, Colton, Nathan, you guys want to hit on some of the other points? Yeah, Colton. No, Nate, you go first because I got right. about I'm gonna go first. questions then. I can ask. All <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of a, like an intellectual one. Um, I wanted to ask this to an announcer just because you've you mentioned that it's your role to kind of teach new fans and. I'm trying to figure this out myself because every time I talk to people that maybe aren't there, maybe they're new to this. Maybe they just figured it out. Maybe they found out because of me, you know, is there anything you could tell me to say, Hey, this is, this is the best way to teach them. Or if you're one-on-one with a fan or you're in a group of people and you're just talking, ask them, what do you know about racing? What do you know about this track? What do you know about dirt? Ask them what they know. That way you're not sitting there, you know, if maybe they know that the green flag means go and they know that when Chad right. does that, that means there's five laps left. And if he does that, that means we're halfway. Find out what they know. And then to say, ask them, is there anything you really like to know about F1, about SCCA, about IMSA? You know, what do you want to know is the best way to go about it. But if you're behind a microphone, your best bet is to just kind of do a racing 101, just touch on the small things and the bigger mm-hmm. things, you know, get a little more elaborate on, like maybe a rule or when a guy – why a guy punched the guy. Just one thing I can always say, don't draw attention to the bad. You mm-hmm. draw attention to the bad, you piss off fans. Then that fan sitting next to that fan's pissed off. Next thing you know, a beer flies and a punch <laughs> flies, and then we're going to the hospital. So you try not to incite stuff over the microphone. You try to keep order because it is kind of your job, and you will be blamed. If you say, well, I think that guy cut him off on purpose and stuffed him in the wall. Well, did you hear what he said? He said he did it. No, he didn't. And we're off and running. So try to keep the bad to a minimum and make it more good. Yeah, that's great advice because I'm kind of going through this now with family, right? You know, my parents didn't necessarily get into racing. I did. I kind of got them into that. And over the last couple of years, I've kind of had to teach them everything I know. I had to teach my dad, even though he took me. He, He wanted to know. Chad knows yeah. my dad would go to the races. He'd sit through hot laps, qualifying heat races and last chance when it came to the feature, he'd leave. He never knew who won a race because he liked all the smaller races. He said they were more exciting. <laughs> yeah. See, my dad was into cars. So when he took me to a race, he's like, you know, maybe he'll like this. And I got into racing more than he did. And now, yeah. you know, 10 years later, he's just as interested as I am. And it's just like, that's great. It's he weird. because You never think you, that you'd be the one to teach somebody. You're never too old to learn. Trust me, I still exactly. learn right now. I'm learning things every time I go 
to a racetrack. So if you're not learning, you're stale. I mean, my mom, she, she's probably the furthest thing from a racing fan. And my she mom went to the too. Daytona 500 a couple of years ago with me. And now she likes it. Yeah. You're, you're lucky there too. My mom never was much into the racing. I think she went maybe two or three times my entire career before she passed. So yeah, your mom being there is pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Just because, you know, she obviously wouldn't have got into it if it wasn't for me. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, they're actually taking interest in it just because of you. Remember one thing when they get mad at you, it's the only parents you got. Mine are both gone. Yep, I miss exactly. them both. So remember, they're your parents and they're not going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. That's my advice for you, Nathan. All right, Colton, you got a list. Start firing. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to, I don't really want to know. It's more of a tongue in cheek. Um, but shoot me some advice on teaching people because my dad still says dirt's for farming. I've tried to tell him for years. It's great racing, but we'll hit on that later. No, listen on that right now. Tell him, look, anybody can go 100 miles an hour straight. When you get to the end of that corner, you got to make that left-hand turn, but you got to turn the wheel right. Tell him, go try that on dirt road, see how many ditches yeah. he goes in. That'll stop yeah. real quick. I'll, I'll hit on it with him when he's over. Real yeah. race car drivers drive on dirt. They drive on pavement to save a spin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hell yeah. I want to know, you're in the booth, Chad's in the stand, would you ever consider going in the flag stand for a night and trying it out? Have you ever done that before? I think Chad can hit on that. I actually filled in one night. Really? I was, I was the starter at East Alabama, and I did okay. I don't have any type of style or anything, and I'm doing good, and we're running the hobby feature, and I went to pull out the move over flag, and I hit the light button, and the lights went red around the racetrack, and everybody's like, Burr! nobody crashed. Nothing happened. I just put the caution on, gave one to go, and we finished the night off. And I realized I don't belong up here. It was fun. <laughs> can I, I, can I ask it. how old you were, Rick? Oh, God. What do you think, Chad? How long ago was that? Yeah, I think that was around 2009. Yeah, nine, ten, something like that. So about 10 years ago, give or take. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I, I'll, I'll sound elitist, but, you know, my dad got me up on the flags down when I was 12. And I don't think I've made this. Very many mistakes the whole time I've right. been up there. So. Hey, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. Yep. You come by and booth and try it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been flagging for twenty plus years and only dropped the flag three times. So I never I have mean, dropped it, not... but I've only flagged twice my whole life. Once was for practice at Swainsboro, and once was, uh, you know, covering at East Alabama on a regular night. So I can't really brag about that. But now, Chad gave uh the sticks to alex and alex just looked like he belonged up there so that's that you know that reminds me you mentioned that you've never been flag stand a few times you know have you ever got behind the wheel anything oh yeah chance? yeah really? and i realized i'm up in the box for a reason i uh <laughs> i drove some enduro races in north dakota wow. i drove an enduro race at flat rock which was a quarter mile paved track now this is back in the day when enduros you didn't stop them. You didn't have a jam car pushing the junk out of the way. You drove around it or through it. And we started 132 cars on a quarter mile. I started 52nd, finished 16th. That was my best ever time from there. I ran a uh, celebrity race, officials race at Toledo on their little fifth mile with street stocks with late model tires. And I got it to the floor. I mean, I'm hammering. And they're going around me like I'm standing still. <laughs> I hot lapped a sportsman at Oakshade one time and I was getting the crap pounded out of me and in, in hot laps. I said, you know what? I don't belong here. I belong upstairs. <laughs> Those guys do it because they can. I tried it. It was fun, but 
but I wouldn't go back. But but let's let's not forget he has raced a go kart on dirt too. That's true. Mm-hmm. I just did that. That, that would interest me. Actually, a six car feature, thirty lap feature. I finished fourth, so I started six, finished fourth. That's not bad. I'll oh, take nice. it. Hell yeah! I want to know, Alex. Maybe you could pull it up. I was mentioning we, Alex and I were talking about this before you hopped on, and I mentioned it kind of in the private chat here. There's a picture behind us that you can only kind of make out bits and pieces of. I want to know if you can tell us around what year that's from because we were arguing about it. Focus on the picture. Get it a little closer for me. Dry Dean Zero M car. So that was a couple years ago. So it's probably 19, right around there. Damn. We both said before 2010, but yeah. No. Chris, we got to remember Chris Madden drove for Bloomer when they were both sponsored by Dry Dean. It might even have been 17. 17 or 18. It was right. It's somewhere between 17, 18, 19 because driving just came on with the world of outlaws and uh, they had those two cars and Madden was driving a bloomer car and then he and Scott split up mid season. So I want to say probably right around 17 or 18. Damn. We got us a walking encyclopedia now. Yeah. yeah no shit. <laughs> I got well, be, Being that I've had Matt's and Madden's hauler for the last, Two to three years. Yeah, it's got to be eighteen. Yeah, it's right around there because it was before that I started putting mats in his hauler. Right. Well, there we go. We're going to go twenty eighteen. All right. Well, that settles what we were talking about, Colton. We were both way wrong. All right. So, kind of, kind of back to uh, some of your favorite stuff here, Rick. Um, what, what is your just generally? What is your favorite track to announce at? Well, I guess I'll preface it with the fact that I've announced that over 250 tracks. I've been to 1,937 total. To have one favorite is almost unfair. I mean, there's there's so many tracks that I really love. I love making Speedway. It's a little fifth mile. They just get down and race there. Grand Forks, North Dakota, River City Speedway, my first dirt track. Sentimental, but it's a quarter mile that just is... If you can ever get there, go see a race there. I don't care if it's sprints, stock cars, doesn't matter. It's an amazing racetrack. Um, Fairbury, it's everything that everybody says it is. Cedar Lake is an amazing place. Eldora, obviously, if you if you are a race person and you love dirt, you've got to spend at least one weekend at Eldora before you know you hang it up. There's so many great racetracks throughout the country. I don't want to slight any of them. But that's just a couple of them that, you know, just really, really, really cool, really fun. There's so many good racetracks that we go to throughout the year. It's hard to just put a finger on one. I mean, Volusia is an amazing place. You guys all need to come and experience the Dirt Car Nationals, at least for a week. Nathan, you could come with Colton for Sprint Week. Alex and Chad, you come for Late Model Week. You guys won't be uh, disappointed. That place is just amazing. And he forgets I've been there the last two years. Exactly. Bring Alex. <laughs> he needs to experience it. Well, see, he's got this one thing called a job and a house payment and all of this. Not a house payment, but apartment job. payment and everything. Job? That, that yeah. he's got to do, and he doesn't have that much vacation time to where he can go spend a week. This year, well, I'm you know, on you going know, to Rick, East if, Bay if, and Volusia for two weeks in a row. So, I mean, if Rick had enough pool, he could probably get me on the flag stand since you're, yeah. since you're too old to do it. Oh, no. oh wow. Oh. First I've job tried. is fired, and it's not even New Year's. Wow. 
I've tried to get him to do that recently, but I think I'm going to wait for him to say that, you know, that October, September, October deal in Cherokee and Sonoma this year, that I'm going to be the official World of Outlaw flagman for those two races this, this year. Okay. If he can pull Radio. that one off. All right. Well, I'll be your fill-in just in case. Hey, yeah. two I won't put you down stand. a, fl- I won't, I won't flag, stand, down okay. a flag. That's I good. Pull- I'll try <laughs> not to push you down the uh, stairs this Christmas. Wow. <laughs> Ah, all right. Well, all right. So continuing with the favorite speech, top three moments with World of Outlaws as an announcer, whether that's racing, fan interaction, driver interaction, whatever, and also the top three outside of the World of Outlaw events. Uh, With the World of Outlaws, I'd have to say the first ever race I called in uh, February of 2004 when they brought the series back. They brought it to Volusia. I happened to be working at Volusia that year and um, got to announce the first ever race that they came back. Then I'd have to say second would be the first race I went on full-time, which was July of 04 at uh, Tri-State Speedway in Hopstad, Indiana. And the third would be every race since then. That's okay. simple. I mean, it's That's just, fair. it's fun. It's just so much fun. And Outside of racing? Yeah. Outside of racing, calling the Eldora Million, being the only announcer to ever call a million dollar to win late model race and a million dollar per sprint race. I actually called the Mopar Million that paid 200000 that Jack Hoddenshield won at Eldora that year as well. So I was very fortunate for that. But um, the other things, um, I'd have to say just going to any racetrack that I'd never been to before. Like when we were on vacation a couple of years ago, we went to Oxford Plain Speedway in Maine and watched their season championship. Um, we went to Holland International Speedway in New York one year and watched a Bush Grand National Northeast race, I think it was back then. So it's just going to different tracks and seeing, you know, different racing that you're not ever going to get to see again. I've been fortunate to be see racetracks in 47 states, so it's pretty cool. Oxford puts on a great show. I, I got that off my bucket list in 2019 when I went to see a couple of friends in, that live there in Maine. And we drove like 35 minutes from their house to get to their track. So they live real close to it. Um, but I, they don't I, play. I usually said like a bucket list. I've only got four bucket list races left to go, and I'll be satisfied. Two of them dirt, two of them pavement. I want to see the Chili Bowl. And I want to see yeah. the, the IMCA Super Nationals out at Boone. That's the two dirt races. The pavement is the Oswego Classic in Oswego, New York for Super Modifieds. And I live close enough, and I still haven't seen it, the Snowball Derby at Pensacola that just happened. I know. I ain't either. It's my four bucket list races. That's it. Hey, well, let's let's plan on it. Let's just have all – let's just go next year. Probably ain't going to happen until after I'm retired because we usually have uh, dry and extreme races around that time. So I'm okay with that. I've got plenty of time. I figure when I retire, I'm going to go to all four. I hear you. Yeah. All right. Well, 2029 Chili Bowl trips planned. We're all there going. We go. There it is. Boom. We're in. I want to know. You mentioned you've seen tracks in 47 states. What are the three states you have in? Is it Alaska, Hawaii, Wyoming? Alaska, Hawaii, and California. What's the track you wow. went to in Wyoming? Uh, we had races at Gillette Thunder Speedway ah, a couple times with the I, World of Outlaws. I forgot Gillette has a track. Well, yep. I don't know if they still do, but I've seen races. I I tell you what, guys, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is right here is 14 pages of every track I've ever been to. 
1,937 yeah. tracks. And as far as Wyoming goes, let's pull it up. I've been to three. Gillette Thunder, where I called racing. A track called Newcastle. Yep. And the, and the old Teton County Fair racetrack. Yep. Hell There's yeah. The three. Well, Newcastle's the closest to me, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. That's that's pretty damn close. There you go. Yeah. Yep. I do and, have uh, to follow up with the California thing. How have you not been to a racetrack in California? Well, I've, the only time I was ever in California, Alex, was December of 2019. We landed at LAX on our way from Atlanta to go to Australia. So I had a five-hour layover there, and that was pretty much it. I never even stepped on the ground in California, so... That's hopefully going to happen on this year's vacation. We go on vacation every year to different states and see racetracks and see the sites like last year. Went to Denver, drove uh, up through Colorado all the way up into South Dakota, went to Mount Rushmore, then down through Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, went into New Mexico and back up into Colorado. This next year, hoping to go out to California, at least to the southern part and catch some tracks out there. So. That's the plan. Hell yeah. Yeah. We were going to Hawaii on the vacation last year and had the flights booked and everything. Went to get a rental car and they're like, ah, wrong answer. We don't have any cars. The one we do have is $700 a day. I said, see you next year. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been interesting to say the least. You've been been better off in a, went out there and just decided to buy a car off the usual uh, lot and everything and and turned it yeah. back in before the 30 days was up and, and and got your money back yeah no kidding that sounds about right yeah so you've been to almost 2,000 racetracks across the country hopefully and across this the year. world hopefully um, this year so do you have a favorite racetrack as far as racing goes as far as what puts on a great show if you got to list me two or three of them that you really like this is a pretty cheesy answer, Colton, but um, in this day and age where we're still allowed to go and do as we please freely, any racetrack, any given night, bud, doesn't matter if it's four cylinders in North Carolina, super late models in Illinois, sprint cars in Ohio, doesn't matter. Any place that will open the gates and allow fans in, I'm I'm good for it. Now, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask because they covered – Bristol in dirt this year. Yep. And I don't know if you were at the 2001 event when it happened. No, it's actually, I was working at Eldora that weekend. Wow. But this, this year you were at the, what, two or three races that, that, that you guys had. Yep. Did it stack up and live to the last great Coliseum name? I was thoroughly impressed due to the fact that we didn't tear up as much as everybody anticipated. That kind of happened on Thursday night's practice. Uh, we lost a couple of cars just because, but yeah. um, I think that they'll figure out how to make that surface a little slower, save on the equipment. Going fast, guys, is great, but when you have a $50,000 motor on a $25,000 chassis with $70,000 worth of parts, the last thing you want to do is go fast, blow your car up, hit the wall, and tear the entire side off. Speed is great for qualifying and track records. Slow it down two seconds and you'll have a racetrack. If they slow, I think you'll see some of the best racing you'll see all year. And see, what I tell you guys way back when, he just reiterated the exact statement when we were talking about Bristol and all that stuff. We were all the same way, Chad. We all wanted speed and fast. We wanted it to be hammered down and hooked up. Right, but racing 
racing is not all about speed, though. Right. Now, if you're slowing a track down two seconds from the time you qualified and it slicks over and you start doing slide jobs and you're passing on the outside, on the inside, through the middle, that's what it's all about. Fans want to see passing these days. They're getting spoiled, and you can't blame them. They spend their hard-earned money that they go to work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and they expect to be entertained on that Friday, Saturday, or Sunday night. And if they see a freight train race or a track that's topside and nobody passes, they might not come back. So, yeah, let's slow it down. Let's give them a show. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, other than a few uh, catch-up questions, I think I've hit everything that I wanted to hit as far as talking with Rick. Uh, Dad, Colton, Nathan, do you guys have anything else? Oh, man. I did have a good question about just how dirt racing in general works. Um, you know, over at least in the road racing side of things, so many people love the rain because it's, you know, the conditions are changing every lap. Every That's our biggest enemy. <laughs> and are you guys like fans of that? Are you guys fans of the changing conditions? Because it seems like dirt, we have a lot to that. that you can ask Chad, have. we have changing conditions. Um, take a good summer night where it's 80 degrees during the day. So we water the track and we get it all hooked up and muddy and, and it's really fast. And then we get a lot of cars out there and it starts to slow down. You get a little black streak through it, but then when the night falls and the humidity is out there and that moisture starts coming back up, the track changes two or three times in a night and you can be lightning fast at the beginning of night and the end of night. You look like a dummy out there that never raced before on dirt. So you've got to keep up with track conditions. I mean, you know, on pavement, it's pretty much once that rubber's laid down, you know where the groove is and where the groove ain't. But with dirt, the groove changes. The groove yes. may be down low early. It may be up high late. It may be somewhere in the middle. You really have to know your stuff. And that's where these crew chiefs earn their money. I mean, think about this, guys. You, especially you guys in the pavement world. In the dirt late model world and our world, we get to track X, we unload, we get three hot laps. We come back, we get two laps of qualifying. So five good laps if you're lucky, and we're racing, and that's it. So then you get an eight or ten lap heat, and if you made it, great. But if you didn't, you've got an eight or ten lap last chance. Your night's done before you've ran 20 laps. Unlike pavement where, you know, you practice all day. Then you race and race and race and race and race. You get more racing, but you've got a lot more time to manage and adjust. You have very little time in dirt. Yeah. And uh, Nathan, something that you won't be able to truly get until you go to an actual race. Um, there's different actual types race. of. Huh? An actual <laughs> well, race. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I meant that as in live because you can't. Yeah, he, really in other words, he's saying it's all fake racing you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but once you go to an actual track, I mean, I'm, you know, being on the flag stand yeah. and with my dad, I mean, you can feel the change in the dirt over the night because you get hit with bigger clumps uh, or silt, depending on if the track's sealed up or if it's dusting over or whatever, just getting rubbered up or not. But you can go, if you go to uh, a track that doesn't specifically have very good, um, I guess, nice dirt for racing, I'll, I'll, I'll call out one of the tracks that my dad flags at now in Dixie Speedway as one of the tracks that I've never really liked as far as watching um, just the, the degradation of the, of the track itself. That track, every time we've ever been there, 
It's all nice and good. The sun goes down and it ruts up, and that track literally peels apart, kind of like you you see, you know, uh, that Jamie McMurray twenty sixteen or whatever at Dover, where that piece of concrete flew up and come up. Imagine that, but the the track actually tearing apart and creating ruts, and they're doing this and all that stuff. And that's different twenty five laps into a main event than it was at the beginning, where those ruts weren't even there. And it's well, the incredible good, to watch that happen. The good thing is on dirt. It's the same racetrack for every driver, and these cars are built for that specific item. I mean, they're sturdy parts that can absorb something like that. A pavement car is more of a finesse car. I mean, you get out of a groove, and you can get freight trained, especially in a NASCAR race. Or uh, if you get too hot into a corner in an SCCA race or an IndyCar race, you get too hot into a corner, and you wash up everybody goes by you with dirt. It's all the same for everybody. And it's, it's tougher material. It's not as lightweight and aerodynamic. It's built for that. So these cars can run out of plowed field. And I hate to say this, but Chad knows a rough racetrack produces some of the best racing many times over because guys are dodging holes. They're dodging ruts. One guy gets all four tires off the ground going into the corner because he hit it wrong while the other guy went around it. I mean, it's, it, it makes for excitement. Nobody wants to see a rough racetrack. Drivers don't want it. Car owners don't want it. Fans don't even want it. But at least it can still produce racing. I mean, you get a hole at Dover on that mile track, you're going to have to patch it or do something. They can't race on that. It'll upset those cars so much, they'll be upside down. Same thing with open wheel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a tough thing. Sprint cars hate a rough racetrack. Sprint cars like a nice, dry, slick racetrack where they can just – get around that and do their slide jobs and let those wings do their work. But, you know, rough racetracks on dirt, we tolerate it. We're kind of spoiled in the way that pavement's spoiled, that it's always smooth. So, mm-hmm. hmm. yeah, and, and that's something they, you'll have to experience. Yeah, because yeah. I love, like, changing conditions on pavement. Like, I did one karting race in the rain, and I'm like, I love the rain. You know, I didn't think I would. but That changes things up. And now There's that a lot they, of fun to have that – you know, it could be different. Rain tires on a race car is a great idea. We just can't do it on dirt. I love to watch yep. stuff like that. Yeah, but just the funny thing is, is a dirt car has grooves in it anyway. Right. Problem is, the track is so slimy Mud. when it's banked, everybody <laughs> slides down to the bottom. Yeah. Racing will never happen on dirt in rain like it will right. in F1 and, and Indy and probably NASCAR one day. But you know, it's the nature of the sport. I mean, we can only take clay, can only take so much rain before the water starts piling up. Well, yeah. I can say I have been to one race to where it had a light mist all night. And it and Rick will remember this in his days because the, the biggest, biggest and the baddest guys that used to race in the world of outlaws split off and went and raced this USA Sprint. And they went everywhere else. And it was 1989, the spring of 89 in East Alabama. I got to watch the King, Sammy Swindell, Bobby Allen, who has grandsons racing now, right? Yep. And um, that was the fastest I've ever seen anybody turn at East Alabama was a Dave Blaney set the fast time at 12.97 seconds. But it misted rain all night, and that was the tackiest stuff I had ever seen. If you have good clay and a night like that happens, you're in for a treat because it's going to be exciting, amazing racing. I remember nights at Volusia where the 
moisture would come back and it'd almost get really foggy out there. Some of the best racing you'll ever see, the cars are just able to stick and go, and it's a lot of fun. It really is. Yeah. I got one more I'll bug you about while we're on here. Go for um, it. If you had, since you've been with the World Outlaws, if you had to pick one year that you thought was the best start to finish or that was your favorite, do you have one? You know, I'd have to say just the years that I got to watch Josh Richards and Daryl Lanigan and Brandon Shepard go out and win night after night after night and get those 18 wins. You know, Shepard's got four championships. Daryl's got three, four for Richards. And there is an outside possibility all three of them could be on the tour in 2022. I talked with Daryl Lanigan. He's coming to the first seven races at Volusia, and then he's going to see where he's at. I think Josh Richards is going to team up with Boom and come and run with us. And, of course, Shepard, you know, he's going to be back. There's going to be 11 championships between those three drivers. And just watching those seasons unfold to what the history has been made, you know, since 2004 is pretty staggering if you really think about it because so many great drivers will race with the Outlaws, whether it's a regional guy, a local guy, a national touring guy, it doesn't matter. You still have to win the race. Um, I just think that those seasons and this upcoming season may be the most exciting we've had yet. Hmm. Well, Fantastic. I love it when you go all over the place anyway, and this this guy that runs regional just kicks all the national guys' butts. There are certain you know, places, yeah. We go, we go to certain places where we know we're in for a fight. You go into Illinois – you know, right then and there, they're coming for you. Those guys want everything that you got. Uh, down in Florida, we get the Lucas guys. We get a lot of travelers. We get a, even some local and regional guys. It's always a tough fight there. I mean, we're going to places like Fountain City, Wisconsin, uh, Mississippi Thunder Speedway, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Boys there are really tough. Go up to Cedar Lake. It's the best of the best to race with us there. Fairbury, we had 80 cars, 70 cars. I mean, Kyle Larson won our race. He won two of our races this year, guys. Kyle Larson won two of our races and finished second in another one. It's every night is something different. You never know who's going to show up and you never know who's going to win. And we had 21 different winners over 46 races this year. Every other race, basically, we had a new winner and Shepard won nine of them or 10 of them. So, yeah. You, you just don't know. That's the fun part about it. It used to be, yeah, Bloomer's going to win this one. Yeah, Shepard's going to win this one. Yeah, Lanigan's going to win this one. Not no more, boys. It could be Alex Harrington, your next winner. Who knows? Yeah. I, mean, I, that, I that, doubt that. That, that Pennsylvania New York corridor up there is pretty stout, too. Oh, I mean, we go Port Royal and places like that. Absolutely. I mean, we went to Orange County Fair Speedway. It's big, big racetrack in uh, New York. And it put on a great race, guys. I mean, it was a phenomenal race. And they're having us for two nights this year. So that says something about, uh, you know, how racing is. And that's not late model country, boys. That's big block country up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, it's been a fun uh, hour and almost 15 minutes that we've had you on here. Thank you so much for coming, Rick. No, thank um, you I guys do- for having me. And it's good to meet Nathan and Colton. I hope you guys get to come to one of our shows. That'd be really cool. Well, if they if they're anywhere close to me and I'm going to 
I will make sure they go. I've done told Nate he was going to have to find me this February so that we could go up there and watch some races. There you go. Lucia. I will I will take him around, let him meet a bunch of the folks and everything yep. like that. Yep. You know, with somebody like me, he he will be having an access unlike any other. Exactly. You can be somebody up else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can take him up there and meet Bloomquist, meet Dale McDowell, you know, stuff like that. You can walk right up to these guys and say, hey, can I have your autograph? How's your car? What's going on? These guys are great. I mean, they're yeah, just yeah. like me and you right now. The only difference is they can drive a race car better than we'll ever imagine. Yeah. yeah. But how many of those guys have I, I've actually flagged over and that Most I'll give them a checker? Right. Most so of them. I've got Most a I've got a different set of reference for doing that sort of thing so when you get to go with me to a racetrack it puts you in a whole different level than just going with a friend that just goes to that racetrack right because you know you got a little bit more knowledge of who what when where and it's a lot of fun but uh yeah i i really um am appreciative of you guys having me on i know you can have anybody you want alex but uh i've known you for a while i've seen you grow up and i'm glad that you're doing what you're doing you're involved in racing and I, you can't ask for much more than that. So just keep up the good work, bud. Yeah, no. And uh, thank thank you for uh, coming on. Like I said, I mean, yeah, it is a little bit of a privilege for, you know, you to work at the racetrack with my dad and I've known you for yeah. the past 20 something years. So it's for me yeah. to have a privilege of watching one of the best flag men around too. I mean, I'm not pulling any punches here. The guy knows his stuff. So that was a yeah. treat too. When you have a flag man that knows what he's doing, it makes it a lot easier on me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there, there is one other thing, though. Rick Eshelman did me the hugest favor one night, one, <laughs> one February. He got my checkered flag and green flag from me. And the king, Richard Petty, actually used those flags for a Power Wheels race on ice at a hockey match. At the Columbus and then he got, <laughs> And then he got those signed, and I actually have those put up. And, yep. I mean, those are like gold. Yeah, you go to a hockey game and they bring dirt late models out on the ice at intermission, drove a couple dirt late models around the ice, brought them back. Then they bring these guys out on on big wheels and they have a big wheel race. And Richard Petty is a grand marshal and honorary starter. And it's just stuff like that. I mean, it was one of those things that you remember and it's in your resume and it's in your memory. And one of those things you would never give up. I mean, I was glad to do that for Chad. I know he couldn't be there. I was glad to do it. I mean, that's just what we do for each other. No, they just wouldn't let me down there with the flags to get it signed. I, no, I, they didn't I want the ice to break. That's what it was, Alex. They were worried the ice wasn't picking up. <laughs> yeah, back, back then, I know that's where I got the nickname Heavy Duty from. But let I'm not Heavy you, Duty no more. A Heavy Duty flag man, Chad Harrington. Absolutely. There's no flag stand he hasn't tested. Just make sure it's safe. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, All right, man. Fat <laughs> jokes is definitely not where I thought we were going to go with this. But. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's actually not fat. It's gravitationally challenged. Yeah, there you go. Ah, yeah. yeah hey, if, uh, I've always said if Chad was height proportionate to his weight, he'd be seven foot two. Just saying. <laughs> not he now. I'd be, I'd be six foot four. Yeah, I know. You've done lost <laughs> half of yourself. I don't know where you went, but I'm glad you did it. You'll be, trust me, you'll be better off down the road. Yep. Yeah, because I seen I, where I, you were and it wasn't pretty. Yeah, well, we've seen you do the same thing. We'd go so out to eat, boys, and they'd have to grease the doorways to get him in a fast food place. Just saying. Damn. 
I'm I'm working on it. I'll get there one day. There you go. <laughs> no, I appreciate all you guys being a part of it. Thanks a bunch. And I sign off the same way I always sign off. You know, get your backside, track side, go fast and turn left. All right. Well, I want to go ahead and thank Rick again for coming on. Anybody who has uh, watched him over the years, whether that's, you know, on a uh, stream with one of the, the streams in the last few years, uh, he's probably been on Speed Channel as well in the early 2000s. And uh, also, of course, at the track, you probably got a lot of information uh, that you didn't know about Rick. And otherwise, welcome to the Dirt fandom. If you weren't a part of the Dirt fandom, there's no other guy that can get you into racing more excitedly as Rick can. So we want to appreciate him for coming on. And well, we're, we're going to go ahead and sign off as well tonight. So uh, as always, thanks for watching Fan Fuel. Go check us out on FanFuelMotorsports.com. We'll be dropping the link to our Discord for our iRacing series, the Fan Fuel Grand National Series, on Twitter and on Facebook tonight after the stream and probably the next 30 or so minutes. We'd love to see you as a part of our own series, and we've got more stuff coming. Uh, the rest of this offseason we'll get you into. So uh, we'll have Jared back, and uh, we've got some cool stuff with Fantasy Racing coming on next year that he's going to be heading on, and uh, we'll, we'll be here as always. So uh, come check us out next week as we get ready to end off the season for Formula 1 and really motorsports in general. All right, guys. Bye.